Good morning. Uh, oh, thank you. So, uh, my name's Trevor. I am one of the members of our preaching team here, and I am also one of the youth interns. So, I work a lot with the middle school and high school students, and just this past Wednesday, when it was 60 degrees outside, we finished the zone with a water party. So, the zone ended well, and we are excited for another year of ministry next year in the zone, and maybe next year, Waterdale will be sunny for us. Probably not, but we can always hope and pray. So, the sermon series that uh, we're going through right now that I'm going to be preaching out of this morning is called Encounters with Jesus, and what that is, is that's been our alternate sermon series. If you've been here the past couple weeks, um, Scott just got done finishing preaching through the book of Colossians. That series is over, and we're going to start a new series on something else, I'm sure, here, here pretty soon. So our Encounters with Jesus series is fairly self-explanatory. Wait, we're talking about people encountering Jesus. So that's going to be conversations Jesus has with people, how he interacts, how they react, and all of that kind of stuff. So today we are going to be in John chapter 4. The verses are going to be up on the screen. You can turn to them in your Bible. Um, or if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one from that seat rack in front of you for free. We encourage you. We want you to have a Bible. So don't hesitate. Go ahead and take it. So we're going to start reading John chapter 4, and we're going to read, it's a lot, verses 1 through 26, and then we'll go and kind of break down what's happening and figure out what exactly is going on in this encounter with Jesus. So John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
you're right in saying you have no husband because you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So there's a lot that's going on in this passage. It's huge. There's a ton. And the main thing that I want us to focus on is when Jesus is talking about the living water. So this imagery of living water isn't new to this particular story in the Bible. This is something that we've seen all throughout the Old Testament, and we're going to continue seeing it as we get farther and farther into the New Testament. This is a symbol that, we, that it is not new to this chapter of Scripture. And when Jesus is talking about the living water, as Jesus does a lot, he's speaking in a metaphor. And, as what usually happens, the person whom he's speaking to does not understand that he's speaking in metaphor. So he's telling her, this woman at the well, that he's going to give her living water. And she understands that, is that he's going to give me literal, physical, H2O, water, whatever you want to call it. He's going to give that to me, and I'm not going to be thirsty anymore. And I think there, well, there's a lot of reasons for this. And I think one of which, think about the climate that they're living in over there, as opposed to our climate here and what we think about water. We live in Vancouver, Washington, and it is wet, damp, moist, and just all around just not super pleasant. We, when we see rain, when, I love living here, but sometimes it's just, it's just a little too wet. And when, when it's raining, we don't get super jazzed or excited that it's raining. It's like, oh, it's raining again more water all over the place again, really? Whereas over there, they have a completely different idea and opinion on water because it is hot and it is dry. So when Jesus is telling this lady that he can give her living water, he can give her water that's cold, refreshing, clean, and able to quench her thirst— unlike probably the warm, stagnant, kind of dirty water she's pulling out of this well, she's all over that. Like, that sounds awesome to her. And she even says, you know, give me this water so that I don't have to come to this well anymore. But as she's saying that, she completely, at least at this point in the story, is missing the point that Jesus is trying to make. So, 
as I said, this is, the living water is a metaphor. And the living water is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit that wells into eternal life. Living water is the Holy Spirit that wells into eternal life. Now, as I said, when we look throughout the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, we can find all sorts of references to God and living water. And as I was studying and preparing for this, I noticed an interesting pattern, which is that God is referred to as the giver of the living water, the, the fountain or the, the spring or the geyser. He is the giver of living water, the source of it, not necessarily the water itself. So let's look at an example. In Jeremiah 17, 13, this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. The imagery here is of a fountain. God is the giver, the supplier of the living water. This idea of relating spirit and water, we see this, as I've said like a hundred times by now, all over the place. We see even in Psalms, in, in other passages, we see believers thirsting after God, God thirsting after this living water. In Psalm 42, 1 through 2, the psalmist says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So this type of imagery isn't new. Jesus isn't making this up. He's referring back to a lot of this Old Testament stuff that this woman very well could have been familiar with. And now, I said that the living water is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the person of God that comes and dwells in us after we have received Jesus as our Savior. Now, if you have questions about that, ask someone way smarter than me, because the Trinity and the Holy Spirit is a really complicated thing. It's hard to understand. It's hard for our human brains to understand it. But the reason that I'm saying that the living water is the Holy Spirit is because a few chapters later, John tells us that. In John 7, 37 through 39, he says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So John flat out just tells us, hey, when Jesus is talking about living water, he is talking about the Holy Spirit, the person of God that comes and dwells in us. So when Jesus is speaking to this woman, that's what he's referring to when he's talking about the living water. And we know that the Holy Spirit, that this living water, is going to well into eternal life because Jesus says so 
right when he's talking to the woman. He says in John 4, 14, the water that I will give will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So this living water is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit that leads us into eternal life. And what's pretty cool is that the living water can satisfy us in a way that nothing else can. I think the Bible uses the imagery of God is water. I think that's significant because we, as people, we need water. If you don't drink any water, you're probably going to be dead after like four days. Maybe you can make a week, but that's going to be pushing your luck. We need water to survive. Our, our bodies are like 60% water. Our blood is over 90% water. This is important to us as people. We need water. It's more important than food. We need it. We need it to survive. And without it, we're going to die. There's no way around that. So metaphorically, a lot of metaphors, people drink spiritual water. Whether you realize it, whether people realize it or not, whether you're a Christian or not, you are drinking some sort of spiritual water. And once again, Jeremiah talks about this. He says, and this is, this is God talking, he says, for my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and two, hewed out broken cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So, once again, we see God is the fountain of living water, and Jeremiah and God, they're talking about cisterns. And what a cistern is, uh, there will be a picture of one on the screen. It's kind of like a well of sorts. It's a big tank that you'd put um, and fill it with water so that you go to your cistern and you can get water from the cistern. Now, once again, let's put ourselves in Bible times and in that place. If your cistern, your big tank that's holding all of your water, if that breaks and you're in the middle of the desert, you're in a pretty bad position. So when God, he's talking about us digging for ourselves broken cisterns. And metaphorically, what that means is he's talking about when we try and satisfy our deepest spiritual desire with something other than God. So this can sound like there's a couple different ways you can think that, and you can think like, oh, well, that's obviously going to be doing something really, really bad. If maybe one example of a broken cistern could be something like alcoholism or pornography. Those would be examples of broken cisterns. You're looking for satisfaction in something, and you're not going to get it from there. But broken cisterns, that can be something way more, way simpler than you think it would have to be. You see, a, a broken cistern could be something just as simple as loving a spouse or your family more than Jesus. So I've been married for 
two months. See, I got a ring. I've been married for two months, and I love my wife. She's sitting right here. But the thing is, she is not a perfect person. She's pretty close, but she's not perfect. If I try and satisfy my deepest spiritual desire, and I elevate her above God, I'm going to be disappointed because she, as close as she is to perfect, she's not perfect. I remember when I was younger, it was probably in late elementary school. I, I don't even know how I got money. I didn't have an allowance when I was younger. And I'd, at this point, I wasn't really working for anyone, but I had saved up all of my quarters to go buy a, uh, a toy dinosaur. This was right as Jurassic Park 3 had come out, and they had this toy um, as a Spinosaurus. It's the dinosaur with the weird, like, fin on the back of it. And I had saved up all of my money, and I was so excited to go buy this toy Spinosaurus. And I, got, and I was thinking, like, wow, once I get this, my life is going to be perfect. <laughs> I'm not going to need anything else once I have this plastic dinosaur. And I think you all know how that story ends. Buy the dinosaur, and maybe a couple weeks later, it probably broke or something. I don't even know where it is now. And so, so, and I still do that, not with toy dinosaurs, but we all still do that to certain extents. We try and find satisfaction and things that aren't going to ultimately satisfy us. So whenever we put, let me say this slowly and carefully, whenever we put anything above Jesus to try and satisfy ourselves, that is sinful, and we are going to be disappointed in that. So let's think back on the woman at the well even just from this really short story and this short interaction that Jesus has with her, we can already tell what her broken cistern is. It's men. She's been married five times, and she's living with a guy now that isn't her husband. And so even just from this short story, we can tell that she's trying to satisfy herself in in a husband, in relationships. And it's obviously not working because right now she's on number six. So Jesus, he comes to her and he's, he's telling her, look, I'm going to give you living water. You don't need to be digging the, these broken cisterns with all of these guys because she knew that that wasn't, satis- that wasn't satisfying her. And Jesus is trying to tell her, look, I'm going to give you living water, and that will satisfy you, but right over her head for the time being. And unlike anything on this earth, Jesus won't disappoint us. There might be times where we feel disappointed. We don't understand something that's going on in our life. We don't understand why God's letting something happen. But Jesus is perfect, unlike whatever else we're going to try and put our trust and our faith in whatever else we're going to try and do with that. So, if this living water is really as great as Jesus, 
is cracking it up to be. How do, we, how do we get it? How do we receive it? Well, the good news is that living water is a free gift. Jesus specifically is, says, when he's telling the woman, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, when you give something to somebody, it's, it's free. Like, if I'm to give you one of my sermon sheets for $500, I'm not giving it to you. You're buying it from me, and you're getting ripped off. <laughs> so Jesus is saying he's going to give her living water. This is a free gift. One of the most common spiritual misunderstandings is that we have to work our way to heaven. Every other world religion that I could find in doing my research said that you either have to do good things, you have to give lots of money, you have to spend a certain amount of time praying, you have to understand um, yourself, you have to understand the universe, you need to memorize these holy texts. Whatever it is, that's based on what I would be doing. Whereas biblical Christianity is unique in the sense that it is by nothing that we do that we can receive the gift of eternal life. And the reason for that is because the, the standard for heaven, the standard for that is perfection. And we all fall very, very short of that standard. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 states, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He specifically says, this is not a result of works. This is not based on what you do. This is based on the grace and the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. We have all tried to hew out broken cisterns, every single one of us, and we have sinned against God in doing that. We've hurt ourselves, we've hurt other people, and there is no way that we can get to heaven on our own because we fall so, so short of that standard. We don't come even like close to measuring up. We all deserve death and hell for our sin. Every single one of us. But Jesus took that punishment for us and offers us salvation as a free gift. So you might be thinking, Trevor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the bad things that I've done. And while you're right, I don't know the bad things that you've done, but no one is too sinful to be saved by Jesus. Let's, let's think back to the woman at the well. So Jesus, as it said, Jesus is a Jew, and she is a Samaritan. Basically what that means, Samaritans were like half 
half-bred Jews, half-blooded Jews, and there was, they, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other because of it. Samaritans had, uh, like, a di- they had a different version of the Bible. They had a different mountain that they worshipped on, and they didn't believe exactly the same things as the Jews did. So they don't like each other at all. And Jesus, a Jew, culturally speaking, should not have been talking to her. He shouldn't even have been in Samaria. Um, That was far against the cultural norms and the cultural standards for him to be doing that. Also, she was a woman, and he was a man, obviously. Once again, it was against cultural customs for him to be talking to her in public without her husband being there. And third is that Jesus was a teacher, like a rabbi, and it would not have been okay for a rabbi to be talking to a woman like he was. So there's these three pretty big, crazy cultural boundaries that Jesus is breaking to try and reach this woman. He's not breaking rules for the sake of breaking rules. He's breaking them because he cares about the salvation of this woman. He knows that she's digging broken cisterns, and he wants to save her from that. So if there was that much of a divide, a cultural divide between Jesus and this woman, and he crosses that to get to her, how much, how much more is he going to do for us? Also, think of the Apostle Paul. So he wrote uh, the majority of the New Testament, and before he was a Christian, before he was following Jesus, he was a Pharisee, and he hated Christians. He watched and gave the thumbs up on Christians being imprisoned, hurt, and killed. He says in First Timothy at one point that he is like, he's the chief of sinners. He says, um, among a world of sinners, he is foremost of them. He is the biggest. He is like the worst sinner, is what he's saying. And if Jesus can save Paul, if Jesus can save the woman at the well— we know that Jesus can save us. There is nothing too sinful that we can do to be excluded from Jesus' love and from his forgiveness. There's no cisterns that we've dug too deep that, are, that won't let Jesus come and save us. And what's amazing is that there's no There's no rituals, there's no ceremonies, no special words, no special phrases, or anything for us to receive the gift of salvation. All it is, is that we just pray, and all praying is, it's just talking to God. That's it. All we need to do is just pray, ask God for forgiveness, and accept his gift of eternal life. That's it. There's no hoops you've got to jump through, no special blood ritual thing. That's all we have to do is pray. So right now, we're going to pray, and I'm going to let it be silent for a little bit. And whatever you and God have to discuss, go ahead and do that. And if you have not yet accepted God's gift of eternal life, the living water, I would encourage you to definitely do so. So I'll give you guys a moment to pray, and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are too, you are too good to us for how sinful that we are. You are too good to us. And I just thank you so much for this gift of living water that you'll give us. Jesus, I, I just pray that, that we would accept that gift of living water and that we would stop trying to satisfy ourselves with things that aren't going to do it. We would stop trying to satisfy ourselves with relationships or with money or anything else that it might be, God. Help us just to love you, to serve you, and just to follow you with everything that we do. Amen.